Welcome to Evidence to Excellence, news in neuroplasticity and rehab powered by The Recovery Project. We want to personally welcome and thank you for joining us today. We're glad that you're here because this podcast is designed to keep you updated on what's new in research and evidence in the neurorehabilitation world. Now, here's your host, Polly Swingle, CEO and co-owner of The Recovery Project. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Evidence to Excellence. My name is Polly Swingle, and I am going to be your host today. First of all, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this podcast. Um, We keep increasing the number of people that are listening to it. So we are totally excited about that. And, um, you know, always reach out with questions um, if you ever have any, or if you ever have any ideas, if you want something for me to talk about at our next podcast, please put that um, in our comment sections, or you can email us or check out our website, but we'll give you all that information later. So today, We are going to talk to, I have three incredible experts sitting in front of me, and today we're going to talk about residential and community rehab. You know, some people um, call that home care. We at the Recovery Project call that residential and community rehab. So today I have with me a team that works in our division of our residential community rehab. So let me introduce them to you first, and I'm going to let them also say something a little bit about why they are experts, why they are so awesome. And then my question to each one of you is, why do you love the profession that you're in? So I'm going to start with you, Nikki. So I have Nikki Warner here, and she's been on one of our other podcasts because she is an ex- she is an expert in so hello, many different hello. things. But Nikki Warner has a master's of physical therapy, and she is our lead therapist in our residential and community rehab program. So Nikki, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, and then tell us why you love being a PT? Hey there. Hi, everybody. Um, Thanks for having me back, Polly. Um, So I think the reason I love being a PT is just because I get to spend so much personal time with my patients. One-on-one time, I'm not running around maybe passing meds or just in and out with my clients. I am there with them one hour, 100%. I really get to know my person. So I think that's what truly got me into the field. And, you know, I want to be with people. I'm a helper. So this is my uh, best way of doing that. How long have you been a PT? So I've been a PT now. It's going to be 23 years. Yikes. It goes by fast. Class of 2000. Oh, my gosh. I know. University of Michigan Flint. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it is. And you still have that passion, which is so impressive to me. So Yeah, still have the passion. Um, I mean, someone asked, you know, do you love your job? And I, I really do love my job. Every job has their ups and downs, but... It's always changing. There's always something new that you learn. There's always somebody that um, just really touches you or you can help so well um, that just it just fires you up for the next person. It makes you want to keep doing your job, even if you have a really bad day. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I am so glad you're here in that. Thanks. You've been with, how long have you been working at the Recovery Project? It'll be 13 years wow. this year. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Yeah. And I just think that the home care route for me is a, uh, was like a natural transition, right? So yeah. where do I see myself at the end of my career? I mean, some people are starting at the beginning of their career, but um, this has kind of like been a natural transition for myself out of the clinic into the homes where I can really use all of my um, knowledge and networking that I've developed over the years. So That's I just awesome. think it's a it's a good fit. 
Well, thanks for being here. We'll get Thank back you. to you with more questions. So my next guest is Dr. Netta Medi. She is a doctor of occupational therapy. So tell us a little bit about yourself and why do you love the profession of OT? So like, doc, uh, like Polly said, my name is Netta. Um, I've been an occupational therapist here at the Recovery Project for about two years. Um, I really love the field of occupational therapy because we help give people meaning and purpose to their lives so that they're able to do the things that, that, that they want and need to do. Um, so that means, you know, going through the lows and the highs and celebrating every win that we can and getting them to do all of their daily life activities again. That's awesome. Now, where'd you go to school? I went to Grand Valley for both my master's degree and my post-professional doctorate in occupational therapy. So do you also have a master's in OT? Yes, I do. Oh, my God. Do you love school? <laughs> What's all that about? I guess so. <laughs> I guess I do love school. That's awesome. Yeah. You love learning is yes, what I Yes, I do saying. love learning. And my um, background has mostly been an outpatient neuro um, but when I was presented with this opportunity to do the residential and community rehab, I was really excited to kind of fill a new role and learn and grow the position. So it's been a whirlwind. Which you, which you have, and you know, we'll probably get into this. What is so impressive to me is how creative you are and the things that, which we're going to talk about everybody, the things that you have some of your patients doing in the home and the community. So thanks for being here. Thank you. Our third guest is Miss Lindsay Voss. And okay, you guys, it's so funny because she had to tell me this like three times the title behind her name. So she is a CTRS, which is Certified Therapeutic Recreation Specialist. And one thing I also have to add is she does work at the Recovery Project. She's also one of our sales reps and does an incredible job at that as well. So, Lindsay, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and why do you love being a recreational therapist? Hi, everybody. Yes, I'm Lindsay Voss. Um, I'm a marketing representative here, wellness trainer, and recreational therapist and marketing rep. I don't know if I said that already. But um, yeah, so I've been here since 2021. And um, I love rec being a recreational therapist because you can really look at the individual as a whole and not only focus on physical things, but you can really focus on quality of life. If you can walk again, um, what's your purpose for walking? What makes you happy? And the goal is always quality of life, obviously. So um yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, what I always say is, you know, I've been doing this for over 35 years, Nikki. So Good. I got yeah, many maybe. more years on you. But, you know, we have these conversations with our patients so much where the first thing is they're always like, I need physical therapy. I need occupational therapy. I need speech therapy. And they may be attending those therapies for months, maybe years right you guys and then we kind of say let's look outside of that circle and expand your life mm -hmm. into fun socialization let's get involved in our in our communities so important from your standpoint Lindsay mm -hmm. of what you do to really open up that world for these patients like hey we can still get you out there and be involved in that community so thank you for what you do on mm -hmm. everything that you do for us and we'll get back to you for a couple questions so guys the way I wanted to start um, 
this podcast is first to present a little bit of evidence. So again, this podcast is evidence to excellence. And I did do a little digging on evidence in residential slash home care. And I want to present a few studies that I thought really supported the benefits of therapy in the home and in the community. So one study was really 14 studies where they took kind of the summary of these 14 studies and they looked at 1,617 people. All of these individuals had strokes. And what the study showed was that the individuals that had home PT and OT were more independent with their ADLs and likely to maintain those abilities within the home when they were having residential and or home PT and OT. That just to me said, first of all, large amount of people, but also really supported what we are doing to show that how important it is to really have therapy in the home to work on those independent ADLs. Second study was, the purpose of that study was to improve health, is it better to do to do an exercise program at home or at an outpatient facility slash hospital type setting? So I get this question a lot and we have therapists that say, or patients that say, I've only had therapy in the home. Why do I need to go continue on to outpatient therapy or a hospital-based program? You know, and what the study showed was that they are both beneficial. And so there's pros and cons to both of those. And we'll kind of, we're going to talk a little bit about the type of therapies we can do in the home and even some of the technology that now we can bring into the home based on getting the best neural recovery for these patients. So the third study was basically a PT study, Nikki. So it was looking at utilizing PT in the home for preventing pressure ulcers, ulcers for individuals that are considered bed bound or considered non-ambulatory, but the definition of that was individuals that were unable to walk um, any more than 150 feet. So they were walking less than 150 feet and they needed assistance doing that. So what this study showed is that having PT in the home for over for a six months period of time showed a drastic decrease in pressure sores as well as decrease the respiratory complications for those patients. Nikki's over here nodding, which is so true. So even those patients that we would say in our terminology, kind of a lower level. So they are unable to maybe transfer by themselves. They are maybe unable to walk more than 40, 60 feet without an assistive device or needing assistance. Just that importance of movement, mm -hmm. I think, in really getting that blood flow going, getting them to use their lungs, getting them to move their extremities, really are showing that even those people, the importance of bringing in a rehab team to prevent some of those medical complications that really eventually could be life-threatening. So love those studies. So let's dive into this, guys, and get started. All right. I'm going to start with you, Nikki. Okay. So... What are the, in your opinion, the pros and cons of having a physical therapist in home or providing residential home care? Well, I think um, one of the most important things is that, well, a couple of important things. Um, the person's going to feel very comfortable in their home. So they're going to just immediately 
participate. Um, there, there's no anxiety. Oh, I'm going to the clinic. Are other people going to see me? Is it going to be too hard? They just know immediately that we can go right into their home, their comfort zone, and you know start the training. Um, what other thing that we don't see in the clinic, and I think we, it, which is you know we ask our, our patients, hey, you know what's what's your house like? We ask them verbally, but to physically see it and see how it functions is a whole different story. So we go into their home. And what they were telling me in the clinic is something completely different. Or we just assume things. Oh, they're showering. And you go into the home and you ask, okay, show me how you're set up. Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm doing it like this. So you can really get that hands-on uh, view of what's happening in the home. Um, I can see their equipment. I can see their exercise program. Um, I can see what the accessibility is of their bathroom, their kitchen, their bedroom. Um, and then the other thing is when we're not there helping, they need someone to kind of facilitate this exercise program, right? It's all about repetition, as we said, for that Mm evidence-based. And if I'm not there to do the exercise program and they're needing me, well, they need that caregiver to help. So I can immediately instruct that caregiver to assist them with their exercise program. Yeah, I know that, um, you know, I primarily have done outpatient most of my career and so many times what happens sometimes is the patient is dropped off an outpatient and I get it. The caregiver might need a breath, might need a little bit of break. So maybe they're in the lobby reading a book or go out to the car or run an errand and they're just not there when that time is, hey, I want to really train them mm-hmm. how to do a floor transfer or how to transfer out of the chair. And it's so nice that in the home you are right there in front of them like, all right, hey, they're progressing this much or you're struggling with this. Let me teach you how to do that. Are there any cons of doing therapy in the home, Nikki? Well, sure. Um, sometimes people need more assistance. So maybe in the clinic we're using our other staff and our technicians and they might need two to three people to do this. So at home, it's you and your client. Maybe the you know caregiver can step away. It's not, you know, we don't need them there for the full session, but... Um, you know, we might be limited then by safety, you know, my health, their health, mm-hmm. right? I don't want to hurt myself. I don't want to hurt right. them. So that could be the con to like trying to do some more aggressive things with them in the home. And then equipment too. You know, you do have the equipment in the clinic that's much different than in your home. Yeah. But I think we can really be uh, creative in what we do in the home though to still provide some of that care. Yeah. That can be yeah. higher level. Totally, totally agree. Netta, same question. Um, so what are the pros and cons from occupational therapy of providing that in the home? So I think for pros, a lot of times when I'm doing an evaluation in the outpatient clinic and I'm asking people about their specific activities of daily living, they don't know what that looks like or what their environment is set up with. Um, because people do things so automatically these days that they don't even think about it twice. But as occupational therapists, we're skilled in activity analysis, so breaking down the steps of every ADL and being able to pinpoint what the issues are, whether that's the environment, the task itself, the patient's skills, motivation. So there's a lot that is involved. So when I'm in their home, that gives me a really good picture of what environment they're working in, what um, modifications need to be made, what tools and equipment or materials they have. Um, And I think that also ties into 
neuroplasticity, right? We need task specificity. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you can't really get more specific than doing a task in their natural environment and in, in the comfort of their own home. I can simulate things a hundred times in the clinic. And while that is great and while we're still working on skills, it um, just doesn't hit the exact specificity as if we were doing it in the home. Um, another thing for, well, going to cons, um, like Nikki had already mentioned, we might not have the high-tech equipment that we have in the um, therapy gym in the home. For example, if I want to do electrical stimulation with a task with someone, they might have one of those handheld stim units. I can only hook up two muscle groups to that, whereas in the clinic, I can hook up six per side. Um, So that's a consideration for a con and then I've also found that sometimes it's hard to get people to initiate doing their ADLs in the home so a lot of the first few sessions for me is rapport building and trying to build that trust so that they can feel comfortable and and get motivated to actually wanting to do something um, purposeful whether it's you know not everyone wants to get back to cleaning their house let's say but (laughs) Um, we can show them that they are capable of improving or utilizing the present skills that they have. I always, th- I always thought my opinion only is that from an occupational therapy standpoint, so many of our patients would benefit from almost a hybrid model, mm-hmm. you know, because yes, we have the fancy equipment here and the harness systems and a lot of these other things that absolutely are beneficial and help with neuroplasticity. But you're, you know, you nailed it in saying that really to work on those ADLs, cooking's a great example. Mm -hmm. I have designed so many clinics in my career and the OTs are like, we need a kitchen. We need all of this. And, and yes, it's utilized, but you know, you don't have everything where the pots and pans are, where the cups are Mm -hmm. and, and how to get to the refrigerator and the distance to, to the stove or whatever. We're in the home that is so beneficial to have an occupational therapist in the home or even laundry right yeah I mean how do you simulate that on the height and carrying it to this place or that place and 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 things like that right um so yeah I I totally totally agree I think that's awesome um Nikki what kind of patients in in your experience that you're doing right now what are some of the diagnosis that you're seeing in the residential program so we mainly see um traumatic brain injury uh, spinal cord injury um, as well as, you know, we do have some private pay clients with um, multiple sclerosis or people that want to stay in the home because they can't get to the clinic, so they're considering private pay as a way to bring us in so that they still can have that care. Um, that's mainly we're seeing those diagnoses because of motor vehicle accidents. Right, right, right. So, you know, Netta, you kind of touched on this about, well, neuroplasticity and and in these podcasts that we do we talk about neuroplasticity over and over and over again I mean the evidence is so highly rated on how do we get these neurotype patients the central nervous system to recovery to recover and you talked about some of that equipment um is there can you bring things into the home that help with neuroplasticity some maybe something a little bit different that we typically don't see in the home care environment you talked about fes Um, anything else yeah we do bring some of the equipment from the clinic that's easily to um, 
can that can be easily transported um so we can simulate tasks but those are also more of like a preparatory activity to facilitate the skills before we would actually do an adl so i know like we can check out a virtual reality system or and bring it to their home or we use blaze pods quite a bit um there's also other equipment like for functional tasks like a reacher or a dressing stick we have universal cuffs so that people can hold on to like a toothbrush or their feeding utensils if they don't have that grip so it just comes down to every person's individualized treatment plan and what um, skills and occupations we're working on yeah i know um from a, I mean, I'm a physical therapist, and from a physical therapy standpoint, you know, one of the principles of neuroplasticity is that intensity, and um, how important it is that clients are, I'm going to say coached, for no other better word, but motivated coach to get that intensity to increase the blood flow to get the repetition so that we can get that neuroplasticity. Nikki, is there anything that in your bag of tricks that you pull out in the home to get an intensity up in a patient if you're trying to work on walking or cardiovascular or whatever we can use music to motivate them we can use um family members um you know maybe it's one of their pets um i think that's highly motivating because we see a lot in the home is the pet so um you know maybe getting them to jump on their lap or trying to walk faster than their their precious animals right so um that really encourages people to increase their um intensity um just because they're comfortable in their home they're going to want to do that maybe we're walking around the block and they want to show their neighbors um hey check me out i'm that's walking more and that's awesome and i know that you guys when you guys are especially the pts when you're out there you know you bring equipment in other than therabands you know that was kind of the typical thing and hey we've all done it that we're just going to bring in the rubber therabands and say you're going to do 10 repetitions of this this and that i know that you bring in boxing gloves and you bring in you know a therax pad to stand on to challenge the balance in different ways to really be creative on challenging that intensity and that skill that you're doing. Well, and I, um, in a, to interrupt you, I think that oh, really ahead. is what sets us off from other companies. We have this neuro background where we're used to being creative, and we've found that if we apply that principle to our home care, that it really changes how our patients respond and they do improve their um, function, their strength, their balance. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, like if a therapist is bored with the interventions, then Mm -hmm. the patients are going to be bored with Mm -hmm. the interventions as well. So Great point. And then what happens? They don't follow through with their home exercise program. And we have said this over and over again. It's so important for neuroplasticity of the central nervous system is repetitions, right? Mm -hmm. So, and you guys, patient, as Nikki said previously, an hour. So maybe Nikki sees them for an hour, Netta goes in for an hour. So that's two hours what twice maybe three times a week and the importance of every single day they need to be doing something so yeah you better make it creative and interesting dual task dual task is the big you know buzzword that we're seeing a lot which is true but providing you know multiple activities um, while the patient's trying to balance and they're thinking and they're scanning their environment so we can add those principles to home care very easily 
Well, it, yeah, I was just, and this has really nothing to do with this podcast, but I was provide, I was putting together another webinar on um, concussion, but totally off the subject. But anyways, talking about older people with fall risk. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they noted is that there is a direct relationship between falling and cognition, between falling and being on antidepressants. So really having you guys in that environment, A, to look at their med list, to be on top of that saying, are you taking your meds? A, on the second thing is what is that combination that could make safety an issue in the home, back to dual tasking, that as you dual task, you do add a cognitive task on top of that, which is what life's about, right? If you're gonna do laundry, dress yourself, if you're gonna go out to the mailbox, you know, assessing your, your co using your cognition as you are physically moving around. Um, so let's talk a little bit about safety. Nikki, I know you're a PT, I'm a PT. We evaluate fall risk in every one of our patients. Mm -hmm. So you do that in the home. Right. And can you talk a little bit about that, of how you assess that, and then how you help that patient to decrease their fall risk in the home? Sure. So we're going to look at fall risk <clears throat> in two ways, um, sitting balance and then standing. So kind of break, that's how I see it. I break it up into two parts. And I see them as, are you low level or are you high level? And so I choose my tests based on their level. Um, so I might do a fist function and sit test for sitting. Um, have them sit at the edge of their bed because maybe they're reaching to grab their slippers or uh, reach into their dresser. <clears throat> so I want to make sure they're not falling out of their bed. And the bed is an unstable surface. So that's even harder to sit on. Um, so I would do that kind of test to just to see um, how much assist is needed. And then I would do some standing balance tests, which, you know, all of us PTs are pretty, pretty versed in with Berg as being the gold standard. And then something a little more involved would be functional gait assessment. Uh, I'm going to look at single leg stance uh, balance. And I may do um, a timed up and go, stand up, walk to your fridge, turn around, come back, sit in this kitchen chair. So we might be doing some of these tests just to kind of get an idea. And because we're not walking long distances or they're just kind of standing or sitting in place, it's very easily, you know, easy to perform these tests in the home. So I want these objective measures because I want to show change. So, you know, just starting from the beginning with these tests is just going to help with uh, their progress and seeing how they're doing. Well, I think, too, too <clears throat> I know that every month when you do that reassessment and you share with the patient, Look at how much you've improved. That is motivating right there to see they are absolutely changing. So, Netta, let's, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, OT has a huge, huge part on evaluating the environment, on looking at the hazards. I'm going to use that term. Can you kind of share with us in the home kind of how you, what are some of the hazards you see and what are some of the typical recommendations you make to make a patient safer? Rugs are not our friends. I'm going <laughs> to say that right off the bat. Um, so removing them is most ideal. Some people are a little hesitant to that. So if they are, we'll have to adhere all the edges and corners to the ground. Um, we could add in like railings where they're needed so that people can move around, whether it's up and down stairs or around a room. Um, 
um, PT can also do this, but like assessing someone's transferability from, you know, bed mobility, so laying supine to sitting up at the edge of the bed, um, rolling in bed, sit to stands. We all kind of work together on that. Um, grab bars in the bathroom is really important near the toilet, near the shower. So determining if the ver- if the grab bars need to be vertical or um, horizontal, that's kind of where our um, wheelhouse is in. Um, yeah. So you talked about resources. So my question would be, you go in there, and Nikki or Netta, you can answer. So you go in there, and you're like, we're going to make these recommendations to make your home safer. You need to grab bar here, maybe a handrail at the stairs. or So do you just tell the patient, or do you help? How does a person know to get a grab bar installed? How do, you, how do they do that? So we would reach out to like a durable medical equipment okay. supply company and um, have specialists install them. I, I wouldn't install like a grab bar, I don't think, um, <laughs> per se, because I think it's also a liability <laughs> standpoint. But um, there are specialized companies, so we just provide them with resources for those um, individuals who can help. And so, Nikki, if they ever need, you know, I know that in my experience from an outpatient that we have recommended things for them to use at home. You know, one thing that comes to my mind is somebody that maybe is non-ambulatory, and I may say, let me recommend a standing frame in the home. Do you recommend some, like, bigger pieces of equipment at times? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's one of the things that I love the most about being in home care is that I can see what they would use and use mm-hmm. well and use often. And then I that can help me. And I just think all the years that we've been doing this, we can just pinpoint exactly this is something you should spend your money on or this is something that we should you know look into for funding. Yep. Um, I feel really confident about that. Um, recently, you know, helped someone acquire a new step. And it's like the latest, greatest one with a screen. And nice. knowing that with the brain injury, having them look at the screen and follow this little, you know, program and a little guy that motivates the person to want to use the equipment. And that's what we're trying to do. Get that, get people to do the exercises in the home, right? That's kind of our, our bottom line. Not, not that they would keep needing us, but we're trying to we're trying to increase their um, independence Mm -hmm. with doing this exercise whether it be a couple exercises a small program um, easy it doesn't have to be hard but we're just trying to get that um, compliance and so what I'm hearing from both of you is so important for the two of you to work as a team Mm -hmm. oh yeah and and you you were just saying we're still seeing a lot of individuals that are involved in a motor, motor vehicle accident and so that team isn't just the PT the OT you know, it sounds like there has to be a lot of communication to that case manager. Is that something that you guys, if you're sharing a patient, do you guys communicate on a regular basis? Absolutely. We both send emails to each other regularly, <laughs> mm-hmm. phone calls on our drives in between patients. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's so important, isn't, isn't it, though? Oh, yeah. I mean, in any, any environment, if you're outpatient, inpatient, home care, the importance of communicating to your team members of, hey, I was just at the house, I saw this, want to warn you, or can you check this out? 
this is what I did. So, so kudos to you guys for doing that communication. Because again, the yeah. bottom line is you get better customer service. And Absolutely. then I think too, we do a really good job of communicating with the case manager. A lot of times our clients have case managers and I think just building that relationship with them helps us get more for the patient. They, it really improves the, um, the care yeah. and the safety and having the right equipment and someone following up and checking in, making sure all those things. Um, you know, we're talking about residential and, and, and community rehab. And here, just at the recovery project, we started doing this type of programming, this type of care about a year, about a year ago. And, um, you know, a lot has changed. We talk about this all the time in the podcast. A lot has changed in Michigan with the no fault law. And, but, but we keep seeing individuals that need rehab services. They, they need skilled care. Uh, maybe that's episodes of care a couple times of year, a couple times a year if they've had a TBI, if they've had a spinal cord injury. And we've really seen some challenges in the no-fault world of getting this therapy covered. We've, um, I think we've really learned how to manage that at least here at this company but there still is such a need out there for these individuals with these chronic disabilities and what we're seeing is that there's kind of this hybrid model there are times that the weather's really bad that we may move the therapy in the home Um, especially in Michigan maybe they don't have transportation anymore and they still need that therapy so they can no longer come to outpatient so we've had this ability to bring our expertise of neuro rehab into the home and then maybe they do a hybrid a couple days in the in in outpatient a couple days in the home I have a question that I want to ask Nikki We, we see a lot of patients that have been involved in a motor vehicle accident that have chronic pain And we've really had some challenges with that in the past year of getting insurance to cover skilled services with individuals with chronic pain. So I'm going to ask you, Nikki, I know she just made a face, everybody. I'm going to ask you, not that we figured it out because we haven't, because we're just trying to, we're trying to determine what is the best approach, what is the most effective and most efficient approach in treating somebody with chronic pain. So I'm going to ask you right now in your experience, how are you treating individuals with a chronic pain? Good question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just think that, you know, we treat, we treat them as we would treat other people, but what we're trying to include is that extra piece of education. So really educating them, maybe we're, you know, pulling up an article or, showing them pictures, something easy in layman's terms to explain to them what could potentially be happening and why are you still feeling this pain and the fact that we need to move, right? We can't just lay in bed and not move. It's only going to get worse. We don't want contractures. That's the worst thing that could happen because that's a permanent thing. So if they're afraid, right, A lot, so many times they're afraid to move. So our job is to get in there and just build that trust Um, let them know I'm not going to hurt them, but we're slowly trying to increase the movement, the stretching. Um, But the biggest part of that is that education piece that's in there. So, you know, I, I just want them to not worry. I don't want them to feel I'm going to hurt them. But also, I think if I find that if I talk through it with them, then they're more compliant and agreeable to some of the, um, the stretches or exercises that we offer you know to them. And there, there's a neuroplasticity component 
to people with chronic pain is that there's so much more pain science out there that's really showing um, the tissues that, that were damaged are healed, but now there really literally is a change in the brain. Mm -hmm. And so through that education that you're giving Nikki to say, okay, your brain is kind of hyperactive here and is perceiving this pain. We're going to work through that through movement, breathing, through exercise. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We've done so many podcasts on, you know, that autonomic system and what happens with that, the importance of breathing and really getting and moving away from almost passively treating that pain, you know, a lot of people will be like, I'm going to have a massage. I'm just going to use a hot pack. And that's sometimes temporarily feels good, but really to decrease that chronic pain to get back to the quality of life that Lindsay talked about is really exercise and movement. So let's talk about the community because I think it's so important that we've talked about home and the importance of therapy, but both of you guys in the in treating people in their home also do that transition of getting people to um, have therapy in the community. So Lindsay, I'm going to ask you a question because you've been sitting here so patiently <laughs> And I want you to tell our listeners why is recreation so important in the component of rehab? How do you assess a individual, a patient on what they're interested in, their needs? And then how do you set up getting something started in the community? Yeah, so maybe before a person's injury, their hobbies may have been like going to the movies or Um, going out in the community in general, and they think that they're ready to go back to that. So when the recreational therapy therapist comes in, they're looking at the physical, social, cognitive, and emotional domains, um, and really communicating with the PTs and OTs on the team. So when the recreational therapist feels that they've done their assessment, um, maybe the client does want to go to the movies, is is the client able to get out of the car and visually scan the parking lot for safety, like you mentioned earlier, that's a huge component. Um, are they able to cross the street with looking both ways? Things like that. Then when they get into the movie theater, okay, they know what movie they want to see, but are they able to look up on the screen and figure out, visu- visually scan what movie that they want to pick, and are they able to pay the person? So it's all things that we might take for granted, but these are huge things that these clients need to return back to. Um, during the movie, can they attend a task, or do they... Are they distracted and do they want to get up and do things, not pay attention? So we're looking at the whole picture. Um, Like I said earlier, you can be able to do all these things again, but quality of life and returning back to these activities that make you happy are the most important. Yeah, and I think that I know that in, in my experience when I've recommended let's get started with recreational therapy, you know, there's so much of that fear. You know, that person may now have a disability mm-hmm. and that fear of, oh, I, I can't go to the movies. Right. I mean, how do, how do I access that? Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, uh, you know, where do I sit? You know, yeah. uh, and, and having somebody like you, a recreational therapist, to guide them through that and say, here's the adaptations that you need now. And here's mm-hmm. the accessibility of how you access that on where you are, where you are t- today. So give me some examples of some activities you've done with patients. You said going to a movie. What Mm -hmm. else have you done? There's everything. Bowling is a huge one. Um, 
My personal favorite is going mini golfing. So it depends on the age of the person, but maybe someone who had a stroke, they can't use their left hand. So you get that set up on the putter and um, get them back to it. And then if they need a gate belt or anything like that. One of my favorite stories was working with an elderly lady who had a stroke and she wouldn't participate in physical therapy, but she'd participate with recreational therapy. So we'd incorporating the balance and the standing um, in front of her family. She showed off, she got a hole in one, Um, (laughs) but she was so happy and seeing that smile on her face and knowing that she was slowly going to return back to her golfing just made her day. Um, Like, like I keep repeating, you can achieve all these physical goals and know how to get dressed for the day, but what lights you up and what makes you happy is the best yeah. thing for these people. Purpose. So you true. You can't really heal your body without healing your mind. Yep. Great. A- absolutely. Netta, I know from an OT standpoint, um, you have moved your patients that you're seeing in the home into the community. Tell us a little bit about a little bit more about when do you kind of make that decision or when do you say, you know what, next week we're going to go get coffee. I don't know. <laughs> Um, so I usually ask about what people's like roles and routines are at the initial evaluation. And then those conversations continue throughout our sessions and like during progress notes, for example, um, I work with people with traumatic brain injuries. And so sometimes, you know, they might not look like they have a ton of physical deficits, but there's a lot of like cognitive processing some people shut down once they walk into a busy store and there's a lot of like visual or auditory stimulation so we kind of break we kind of that kind of to me tells me that that person is in need of community reintegration type therapy um, because we need to work through that stuff so that they can become a participating person in society again Um, so often people with disabilities are marginalized and kind of pushed aside and hidden away from the general society, but, um, we help empower these people to be, to know that they can get back to their daily routines and life outside of their home. And that also pairs really nicely with recreational therapy and what they do as well. I love what you just said is empowering those patients to get back to that quality of life. You know, I think hopefully guys listening that you know that is kind of the message that I would like to finish with is that really looking at the patients as a whole I'm a huge supporter of outpatient you guys know that but also really looking as a whole and what those needs are and properly addressing those needs in the home and you know having this specialty team sitting in front of me come into your home and really make sure that you're safe and that you are participating in your home and assisting in life because people that live in their home may be the primary caregiver, may have children, may have a husband that is older and needs care. And now how do they manage that? But also that transition of quality of life, Lindsay, what you keep saying is really incorporating, let's get you back into the community. You can't live life in your home. Mm-hmm. And so let's really transition that and have a whole life. So guys, I want to thank you for listening. And you guys know this. I want to give a little plug here. If you want to social or if you want to follow us on social media, we are on Instagram. We are on Facebook. Our website is therecoveryproject.net. Please send any comments, um, anything you want to hear in the future. Thank you so much for listening. You guys have an awesome day and we'll see you next time. 
Thank you for listening to today's Evidence to Excellence News in Neuroplasticity and Rehab Podcast. We appreciate you and hope that you come back every fourth Tuesday of the month to get more of what's new in evidence and research in the neurorehabilitation world. To learn more about the Recovery Project or to find out what we're up to next, you can visit us anytime at therecoveryproject.net.